0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: G'day, Anne Jones here, and this is Off Track, the ABC's nature program. And have you heard the History Listen? It's another program from the ABC and it's available on the Listen app and it does what it says on the tin. It's a listen all about history. Now, recently, poet and radio producer Mike Ladd from Adelaide took to the road to record a series for the History Listen that he called Gone Mallee. Now, there are three parts to it, and luckily for us, when Mike was out there in the Mallee, he recorded an extra episode as a special treat for the listeners of Off Track. We start this program with a reading from a book called Mallee Tracks by Jill Nichols.
2: Beneath the dappled olive canopy of the Mallee is a myriad of small surprises and wonderful adaptations to an extreme environment. Tiny orchids flourish after good rains and often need ash or smoke to trigger prolific flowers. Grevilleas, flame heath, and corriers splash reds and pinks, and banksias dripping with nectar are a feast for pygmy possums, birds, and insects. Reptiles, birds, animals, plants, and insects have all adapted across hundreds of centuries to survive extreme heat, long periods without rain, winter night temperatures that fall below zero, and ancient infertile sandy soils, salt, or clay. Survival depends upon things being small in scale and often camouflaged. The wonders that make up this understated environment have to be carefully searched for. Jill Nichols.
3: Botanist Martin O'Leary.
4: Typical Mallee, well the habit of it is a multi-trunked or stemmed tree. It can be shrub size, it can be a small tree. It has a a developed lignotuba or a mallee root. Within that there's hundreds of dormant buds. So if a fire burns the mallee or insects chew the branches and they fall over, there's plenty of dormant buds to come up and and shoot again. So um, how did they evolve? well they seem to have appeared around 60 million years ago they're a gondwanan plant there's early fossils from south america that are 52 million years old of a proper eucalyptus at that stage australia and south america was attached to antarctica so the eucalyptus probably grew in antarctica the south american fossils appear to have grown near volcanoes where there's a fire regime and that's they're not growing in rainforests. They're in a dry open area where there's fire burning and they can regenerate so they probably evolved that love of fires way, way back.
3: Tell us about how old they can get.
4: The age of Mallies has been very poorly studied there's often figures given around 500 years or many hundred years but it really has hardly ever been studied. There is one case in Western Australia where on a headland over 30 meters there's one tree called the Meluk Mallee and that consists of about 20 or so separate stems. Now that was aged with some DNA work and found to be 6,600 years old. Wow! so in south australia there's arguably trees that could exist from the last ice age or the the last sea level rise which is about ten thousand years but nobody really knows because nobody's really studied that and with the mallee's the mallee's ability to grow apart or the lignotuber to separate and keep growing outwards they could in theory grow for Hundreds, hundreds of metres or even maybe kilometres, but that's pure speculation.
3: Would that make them the oldest trees in Australia?
4: Potentially. What are its uses? It provides habitat for all the plants and animals that live in Mallee. The Mallee roots are important for controlling salinity because where they've been removed, salinity is increased. That's to do with the water table. The roots were a source for water. They could be dug up and cut and drank from. The leaves and the, the gum, the keno, was used medicinally for wound healing and things like diarrhea. Other uses, well, the well-known uses were they were burnt a lot for firewood. They produced some nice honeys. One of the other main uses of, of mallies is the, with all the oil in the leaves, that they were distilled for oil. Now you still get that happening on Kangaroo Island with Eucalyptus nerofolia or Kangaroo Island narrowleaf mallee. That has a particularly nice level of certain oils. There was a traditional food, lerp or larp was another Aboriginal name. Lerp is a sap sucking insect that sits on the leaves and and produces sugar. Now they could be gathered together and used as cakes. Hans-Hermann Bear was an early botanist that visited South Australia twice in the 1840s and he met an Aboriginal man on the way to Morundi where he was shown it was lurks but he called it manna that grew on the trees that was very tasty as he's recorded.
3: Manna from heaven. Yeah. How much of Australia did it once cover and how much is left now?
4: Mallies across Australia covered about 250,000 square kilometres and 80% of the mallee in some areas been cleared. In fact in some areas nearly all the Malley's been cleared but that's a regional matter.
3: Is there any attempt to regrow Malley, to yes, re-establish?
4: I, th- I think there is. There's um, land care groups in certain areas and the there's projects along the River Murray where there's quite a bit of Revegetation of some mallee species
0: in pursuit of mallee fowls. An endangered species,
3: the mallee fowl is a mound builder. It's bigger than a chicken, but smaller than a brush turkey. Mottled grey, white and brown, its feathered camouflage perfectly matches the leaf and bark litter on the forest floor.
5: Most of the mounds I know up here, been, I've known them for 40 years. Right. Also they nest in the same place for 40 years. Yeah. But not necessarily the same bird. But right. Probably descendants out of the mound. Yeah. They fend for themselves from day one. The young birds have no, no contact with the adults. Wow. And they have they have to dig out of the mound. You're on your own. And I you're think. on your own. Yeah. With half an hour they can fly.
3: It's amazing isn't it? Where are we
5: heading now to see them Kevin? Well we're heading north to a uh, big patch of about a thousand acres of natural scrub that's never been cleared. And there's be several pairs in that batch, And they're, they're actually quite hard to see even when you're close to them, aren't they? Because they're camouflage. Well, they blend in. They blend in. And normally, when you're walking in the scrub, you, you don't see them very often. And when you do see them, they'll give you fright because they'll just pop up in front of you somewhere, you know? Like you won't, because you're in fairly thick scrub, you won't see them 100 metres away. They'll be like pop up five metres in front of you.
3: Yeah. And have you noticed, since you were a boy, have they been coming back in numbers, or are they still shrinking in numbers?
5: Well, I reckon they're holding their own here in this area, but fox are a big predator too. Yeah. Can they fly? No, they can fly. Right. But they, they only fly when they have to, and they, and they roost in trees at night.
3: Kevin Oakley is a farmer who's made it his personal mission to observe and protect Mallee fowls in his area. Were they um, considered good food by the early settlers oh, too? Yeah, they used to get shot a lot right, in the early days. be a sort of prime Christmas dinner, I guess. Well, I don't think
5: I wouldn't like to eat one, I don't reckon. No. You see what they do, how much work they do on the mound, I think this should be a pretty tough old drumstick. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think you'd want to throw a rock in with it when you were cooking it. You'd eat the rock and throw the, <laughs> the thing away.
3: <laughs> I've never seen one in the wild, but this evening we're in luck. I
5: was down this road here where I saw a... of one. Because
6: what?
5: You saw one? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah.
6: No, I saw one. You reckon it here? Yeah. It's like a slight bit stripy? Yes. Yeah, I saw one. And it's about the size of a big chuck. Sure. Yeah. yeah.
5: Well, we'll go back. Oh, well, spotted. will spot it. they're normally fairly quiet, so it's just back Are okay, they really it?
1: scared?
5: Oh, no, no. There it is, yeah. Oh,
3: fantastic.
5: Might have to be quick. There you go. Oh, beautiful. Well spotted.
3: Birds mate for life and lay clutches of up to 30 eggs buried in mounds one metre high and six metres round, scratched up from the forest floor. The mounds are lined with leaf litter that composts and warms the eggs. It takes an expert eye to find the mounds in the Mallee scrub. Ah, There she blows.
5: The nest cavity is sort of here. we will try and just you can look, put your hand down in there, you'll start to
3: feel a
5: bit of warmth. Oh, they yeah. have to dig this out. Dig, they stand here and they scratch it back. Right. And sand, you know, as you dig, and it's running in again and running in and digging and digging and yeah. digging. They have to dig down that far, lay the egg and then fill it in. They test the temperature with their beak and their tongue, and they keep it at about 34 degrees. Right. Later in the year, the sun will heat the sand up. You see, right. In the initial part, now they're relying on the on the decayed material, which is down under there.
3: Jill Nicholls is a nature lover of the Mallee. As she points out, there's a lot more to it than the eponymous trees.
6: We've got so many acacias and melaleucas, haecias, um, grevilleas, banksias in various areas. There's the balar, which is the bull oak or the she oak. And they just whisper, you know, you hear them whispering in the wind. And um, it's, it's lovely to just, when everything else is quiet and to hear them talk. We've got the echidna, a uh, Mitchell's hopping mouse. People will actually find them in their sheds. And they're not like the field mouse, of course, which we do have problems with. We've got little pygmy possums. Friends have found them in their sheds, you know, just in a little nest somewhere. And uh, the dunnet and the southern Ningawi, which is very, very rare. They're marsupial and uh, they're nocturnal and we do not sort of see them very often, so, which is a bit of a pity. Got seven little teats apparently. You'd hardly <laughs> think you'd get that on there. I know. Never ever seen the Mallee um, Emu-wren, which I would love to see, but that's a very very rare bird. So we keep looking. The red cap Robin is one that I absolutely love. It's just, it's the brightest, most beautiful little bird. And there it is hopping around in the Mallee. You'd wonder how it lived, really, but. It obviously gets enough uh, moisture, and um, it's got its its home here, so which is really lovely.
3: The poet John Shaw Nielsen had a great affinity with the birds of the Mallee. The blue crane, also known as the white-faced heron, he would have seen in the Nil swamp near his family home, or as he worked on the roads around Lake Tyrrell in western Victoria.
0: The crane is my neighbour. The bird is my neighbour a whimsical fellow and dim there is in the lake a nobility falling on him the bird is a noble he turns to the sky for a theme and the ripples are thoughts coming out to the edge of a dream the bird is both ancient and excellent sober and wise but he never could spend all the love that is sent for his eyes. He bleats no instruction. He's not an arrogant drummer. His gown is simplicity, blue as the smoke of the summer. How patient he is as he puts out his wings for the blue. His eyes are as old as the twilight and calm as the dew. The bird is my neighbour He leaves not a claim for a sigh, he moves as the guest of the sunlight, he roams in the sky, the bird is a noble, he turns to the sky for a theme, and the ripples are thoughts coming out to the edge of a dream.
3: Treasure from my personal library is a 1938 first edition of Shaw Nielsen's collection Beauty Imposes. It contains his poem Golden Fugitive, dedicated to a departing smoker parrot. And Shaw Nielsen adds this footnote:
0: The wholesale destruction of timber in the Mallee, which has brought about terrific dust storms, now almost threatening to drive the settlers off the land has also been the cause of the departure of many birds. Golden fugitive to a departing smoker parrot. Moonlight and sunrise ran about your wing. Lightning and sundown, every joy in yellow came for your raiment and your comforting, our most victorious fellow. Beauty was yours, all beauty folly-fed, quickening for love with every old misgiving, deep as the faint remembrance of the dead, called halfway to the living. Joy was upon you that of old was planned over the gentle hill, the flowery hollow. Lightly you gave enchantment to the land, where no dull man could follow. Down the green honey you came out in gold, You cannot see the tempest of tomorrow, nor the approach of man, tyrant of old, with espionage and sorrow. Man with his axe, his old contentious plough, and grieves in the dust a grey ungracious fellow. He who is warred with heaven, can he allow faint emperors in yellow? A rewilding
3: Ben Holmes is a ranger at the Little Desert Nature Lodge, south of Nil.
7: The Little Desert's an interesting place, right on the edge of the Mallee, but where the the system basically functions like an arid or semi-arid system. So that boom-bust adaptation is pretty common across all species, both plants and animals. So when we do get a bit of moisture, most animals and most plants respond quite quickly. And then they flourish, and then in the dry times, you'll see them decreasing number and distribution considerably. One of our interesting species we've got here is the silky mouse. So, it's one of our native rodents and one of the few small to medium sized mammals that still persists in the desert. They live in these communal burrows and they can be up to a metre deep and uh, that sort of protects them from a lot of the um, extreme temperatures and weathers that we get in this environment. One of the other species that we're still seeing occasionally when we do our trapping is uh, the pygmy possums. The western and the little pygmy possum surviving. We caught our first little pygmy possum the other day and fully grown at four and a half grams. So about the size of a dice, just to give you a bit of an idea. So super, super cute little animals.
3: How about uh, bird life? We get
7: purple-gaped honey eater and the shy heath wren and the southern scrub robin. So birds are quite mobile so they can move around and follow the food resources. Some years we see lots of them and some years we don't see many of them. um, Because being mobile they can move through the landscape a little bit better.
3: about your rewilding project? Tell us how the whole thing works. Yeah,
7: so rewilding is a relatively new concept in in conservation biology. There's quite a few of our native species that are missing from this landscape that have gone extinct since European settlements. So our aim is to reintroduce these species back into the environment. But particularly we're focusing on animals that do important things they do something in the landscape that helps manage it. So a, a classic example would be the diggers, so the betongs and the bandicoots and stuff like that, that are missing from the landscape, they would turn over a lot of soil. They would create habitat niches for insects, they would help with nutrient recycling and seed germination and water infiltration and all that kind of stuff. So without these species in the landscape, the ecosystem isn't functioning and it not as healthy as it would be otherwise. So Our aim is to reintroduce some of these species so then the ecosystem is more resilient. We've got 120 hectares with a predator-proof fence. So this is a six-foot-high fence with three electrical wires on it and it's very effective at keeping the foxes and cats out we've got three main aims with the rewilding project here so the first one is conservation so we want to help conserve a suite of these species that are threatened Um, the second one is we want to use it as a proof of concept to try and demonstrate that reintroducing these animals has a positive impact on the environment and the third key thing that we're trying to do here is rewild people so we're trying to get people back out in nature and connected to nature and this beautiful landscape so there's a couple options for people to come here and just stay here at the little desert nature lodge and they can come and walk around here and see animals or they can volunteer with us and participate in these research and monitoring programs
3: wow some pretty scary looking electric fences there
7: Yep, yeah, well, uh, foxes and cats are pretty scary creatures, so um, so yeah, so we, we run these uh, electrical wires around the fence to keep those guys out. Um, so, as I said, this is our wildlife display facility, we call it the Avery. It's 1.3 hectares, and um, this is the first place we'll be reintroducing those animals, hopefully, in the not too distant future.
3: So, this is like an extra secure area within the
7: So that you just heard calling was one of our bush stone curlews. Oh, lovely! Mm.
3: Yeah. Well, we might sneak in there and we'll try and get a bit closer to him, and try and pull him in a bit better. Yeah. When we got really close, the curlews froze into silence, pretending to be pieces of wood.
1: Mike Ladd was the producer and reporter for today's Off Track. Music was by Jakub Gauduschinski and the sound engineer was Tom Henry and production was by Mike Ladd. You can find more of Mike's work in the Mallee by heading over to the History Listens webpage where you'll find three other episodes as Mike winds his way through the Mallee of southeastern Australia. I'm Ann Jones and this is Off Track. Remember to meet me here at the same time next time because that's when I'll take you somewhere else.